0: Welcome to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. Tonight, let's get on to tonight, because I'm just excited to have Mike here. I have known Michael for, gosh, 15 years, Michael? Like, I came to Utah in 2008, and we met probably shortly thereafter through Garrett, and Yeah. And uh, Michael is my personal insurance advisor. Uh, he does all of my stuff around my insurances, my life insurances. He has mine. He's got Shannon's. And he's not just a guy who is, you know, looking at, oh, well, this, this one, this premium is low. So you want to get the lowest premium, right? Or, you know, here's a, here's a term life insurance that's going to suit you well. I have a term. I have whole, I have all that with them. But he is somebody who will advise you on business. And that's, what's really cool is he wants to know what your strategies are for business. And so I wanted to have Michael on because we had talked a couple of times in here, the conversation of finances and money has come up, retirement, what's happening, what's going to be going on in the future. And Michael's one of the smartest guys I know. You all know that not next month with the following, we'll be having Jim Dew on. And that's a different type of planning because he's more of a, a uh, uh, advocate for you. Whereas Michael actually has the products and things to talk about. What I love about Michael is he's going to go through his whole process with us of how he looks at a client or a business, and it's going to give us some really good insights into that. He is the author of the book, What Would the Rockefellers Do?, which uh, he'll explain a little bit more about that as well, but I fully trust him being here. I'm I'm super honored to have him here. So take a lot of notes, be ready to ask questions. He's going to take some questions later on. He's going to give you guys some free stuff too that I know of, and uh, I'm excited about that. So Michael, take it away.
1: Well, again, thanks for having me on the call, Dino. Uh, it's been fun over the years to, to uh, do business with you, get to know you, assist you personally, and then to have all those business conversations. I'll be 50 years old this August. Uh, my wife, Wendy, and I have been married almost 28 years. Our daughter, Kennedy, turns 26 this summer, and our son, Caden's 22, And when I'm not in the office advising on finances and money, I do race an off-road vehicle. I live in Southern Utah. I race in Nevada, Arizona in a series called Best in the Desert. And that's a lot of fun for me. We won national championship two years in a row and we're off to a good start this year. And I started it four or five years ago, putting a client in the car with me. And I'd get done with a 300, 500-mile race off-road. And I'd say, do you trust your advisor enough to go 300 miles in the Nevada desert? I don't think so. And then we started winning. And we got sponsors and Goodrich tires and Can-Am from BRP up in Canada. And uh, now I have a mechanic that I pay to sit beside me as a navigator in case we break down. And he can can help uh, put the car back together if we need that. In 1993, I was engaged to my wife, Wendy. I was going to college here in Southern Utah. I wanted to become a CPA. Loved numbers, loved money, finance. And I took a job that I thought would be great to have part-time while I was going to college, and it was to sell cell phones. So for those of you that had a cell phone in 19, the early 1993, 94, it was the Motorola brick phone. If you remember that, or you had the bag phone prior to that, which was the full three watt phone. And I found myself prior to college, starting back up in September, I started August of 1993. I made $20,000 in 30 days selling cell phones before college started back up in September. Wow. I finished college, continued to sell cell phones through 1999, making no less than $250,000 a year. And I hadn't made 20 grand in a month, let alone in 30 days in 1993. That exposed me to all sorts of things financially, investments, convenience store down in Las Vegas, real estate with my father-in-law, made money, spent a lot of money, and learned a whole bunch about money. So I got into the financial services industry in 2000. I first interviewed at Merrill Lynch because I thought that's where the solution was during the 1990s. It was the dot-com era. You just through era, you threw money at the stock market and it went up. And so I, I remember taking my tie off, having to sell it to this guy in an interview at Merrill Lynch, a good friend of mine from high school worked at Merrill Lynch. And I thought that was the solution, right? High risk equals high reward, low risk equals low reward. And in that process, being a high fact finder, I researched a life insurance company called guardian life. That's where I met Garrett Gunderson, who's my co-author. Of what would the Rockefellers do? Maybe some of you have heard of Garrett Gunderson. That's how I met Dino years ago, it was through Garrett. And Garrett and I and two other gentlemen became business partners in 2000. And it went from it went from I can sell these products in the financial services industry to what's true and what's not true about money. However, I hadn't learned the lesson about high risk equals high reward. So if I drew this out, you guys have probably seen this and heard of this before, but high risk equals high reward, low risk equals low reward. You guys have all heard this, probably participate in this and some sort of allocation of money in the stock market. Well, in 2007, I found myself having lost $4.8 million in a bad investment. And it was my entire family's life savings, kids' college education, everything was in this investment that I lost. I didn't, as a result of that, just real quick, and I wanna get into the solution side of things, because I'm building up to this. I didn't work in 2008, 2009, 2010. I got back into the industry in 2011 with a conversation that I had with Garrett Gunderson, which is, You can choose to extract the lessons from that experience, apply them in your own life and share them with others. And I did just that. Thank God it allowed me to pull out of that. I almost took my life over losing that money. I almost left my family. My family almost left me from all of that. But what was created from that was Vault AIS and what I'm going to now share with all of you to gain clarity around AIS. AIS is number one asset, number one investment, and the number one strategy in the marketplace today, which does apply to Canada also. We have advisors up there that we affiliate with and refer clients to all the time. Number one asset, number one investment, and... Number one, strategy. When I meet with a client for the first time, I look at everything that they're doing on a macroeconomic basis, including their business, their personal finances, and we look at it just like you would if you're looking at teeth and how to line and straighten and x-rays and everything else. There's a whole picture that takes place. And by the way, I did just have a sinus lift almost six months ago and I'm excited to go back in and get that thing taken care of and filled in on uh, here in a couple of weeks. So I've been having some, some work done recently. Number one asset. You, the individual, are the number one asset in your life. Put your oxygen mask on first before assisting anyone next to you. Out of Self interest, not out of selfishness, but out of self interest. Because when we take care of ourselves in any area of our life, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, when we're taking care of ourselves and putting ourselves first, we're able to serve more people around us. We're able to create at a higher level. Does anybody disagree with that or have any questions about that in any way? You know, you probably share a lot of this similar philosophy and coaching, you guys probably all live by this. To take this a little bit deeper, there are two balance sheets that we all have in our life. The first balance sheet has assets and liabilities on it and it's that of a property value balance sheet. We list the assets, equity in our practice, Equity in homes, savings, investments would be assets, maybe some adjoining liabilities and leases and things that we have. Pretty simple, assets minus liability equal the equity in our property value balance sheet. But all of us have an adjoining balance sheet that I call an HLV, human life value balance sheet. Human life value, our mental capital, our education, our morals, our values, integrity, our uh, commitment to continuing to learn and, and pay for coaching and, and, and committing to a life of lifelong learning because the self-interest of doing that is we're fulfilled the most and we create the most for those around us. Human life value is the source and the creator of all property value in our life. The ability to go to school and get an advanced degree in not only dentistry, but orthodontics and to be able to practice in that area as a profession is your human life value. It takes that to then go exchange in the marketplace. So you guys know this. We circle both of these in working with our clients and we have a conversation why we named our book, What Would the Rockefellers Do? to think legacy. Thinking legacy empowers us today to think about future generations because of the self-interest that we gain in doing so. We gain more clarity in our own life when we're thinking legacy. We're clear about what values, morals, things that we're going to live by today, principally based, guided in our life today. So we benefit from that we put it in formal estate planning documents. So when we pass away, we're leaving the money and how we created the money. So money's a blessing, not a curse in our family's lives. We don't know when we're going to die, but we know we will die someday. And so the conversation that I have with clients around estate planning. Is that of packaging up in a, it in a way where we're leaving both? And the again, the self-interest in that is that we gain clarity about what we stand for versus what we don't. And yes, we do write about, I, we did write about that and what would the Rockefellers do? So number one asset is you. Number one, investment in each of our lives has two main characteristics. Number one, control. And number two, human life value. Your ability to produce, to run your practice, to work on patients, to be able to be the CEO, all the different hats that you wear within your own practice, whether you're bringing on an associate doc, it sounds like Dino, you're saying someone's not on the call because they're interviewing someone, is that correct?
0: Yeah, but a a team member, but yeah.
1: A team member, yeah. So anything to do with your business. If you think about your practice in orthodontics and in dentistry, it's what's put the most amount of money in your pocket. It's what will continue to. So your ability personally and professionally to run your practice with your systems, processes, marketing, and everything that goes into running your practice, your ability to do that at the highest level is your number one investment. It's what's put the most amount of cash in your pocket. It's what will continue to put the most amount of cash in your pocket. So when I meet clients, if they have investments that they don't control, where they don't have knowledge and expertise, the mental capital, the human life value, that becomes a big blinking red light because it distracts them from their ability to continue to produce at the highest level in their area of expertise, in your area of expertise. It's exactly what happened to me. I got distracted. I got persuaded. High risk equals high return. You know what? The reality is I got bored. I got bored with my current business and I started looking for the solution outside of myself and outside of the acre of diamonds, which was my own business at the time. I started taking money from my business that I earned, and I started investing it somewhere where I didn't have control. I didn't have knowledge and expertise. I started neglecting my business while the investments were growing. When I lost the money, I would neglected my business so much that my business went under. I then lived off of my savings. And again, thank goodness there was enough savings there that allowed us to stay alive. For those three years and to be able to get back into the business and gain this clarity that i'm sharing with all of you today if you find yourself getting bored and not seeing yourself as the number one asset not seeing your business as the number one investment that's the first place to start dino is a resource myself is a resource to be able to identify that look at where money is going and not just money but time and attention What do you put your, what are you putting your time and attention into? All right. Your number one investment is your own business. The career that someone is in. Anything that we can do in and around us that allows us to be able to produce at the highest level, the way we take care of ourselves is the number one asset. Systems, processes, people, taxes, accounting, knowing our numbers, all of that is number one investment, and it's limitless as far as uh, what we can do there. When we get bored in our own relationship with our spouse, when we get bored at parenting our kids, oh, that's true. Yeah. When we get bored in our own life, and we don't mix it up and have the variety in our own life as far as working out or what we're eating or what we're doing, we crave that variety. When when we're going to school and we have the we had this thing that we we're working towards, that we we're striving towards. We were extremely motivated. And then we build this big business. And if we don't continue to build and we get bored, then we start looking for the solution outside of ourselves and outside of our number one investment. And totally you guys either experienced this or you know someone that has. I'm sure
0: I'm alone. I'm sure I'm totally
1: alone in this. <laughs> you are alone. You're the only one. Myself and you, Dino. Okay. That's number one investment. Number one strategy. Okay, then what do I do with cash that I'm not able to put back into myself and back into my own business and career? Where do I save that cash? What are the characteristics that I'd want to have around that cash? Number one, cash that you're going to save, not invest. So investments are in ourself and in our core business where we have knowledge and expertise and control. Those are the investments that we make. The savings, savings has different characteristics than investments. Number one strategy is all about savings and keep that cash guaranteed. Keep the cash protected against creditor claims and lawsuits and keep the cash liquid to use back into our business, and back into our personal life for future money decisions that we're going to make anyway. We coined the term cash flow banking, paying our self-interest versus paying a financial institution, pooling money together in an area where we now become the bank. We're leasing equipment and things through our own banking system versus now interest rates are lower right now. So it's a little bit different, but still late lease interest rates are higher. But the main concept here is cash that you're going to relinquish control of Keep it guaranteed, protected, and liquid. Guaranteed and protected to protect our mindset so we can continue to produce at the highest level in our area of expertise. Our ability to run our practice, to run our business at the highest level. Nothing will outperform that. Nothing will. Our ability to... to, to be more efficient in our systems and our processes and everything within our business, that's where the investments are made. Marketing, money and tables and equipment and things of that nature, that's where we invest time, money, effort and energy. If we're taking cash and we're investing it somewhere outside of our control and it distracts us from our ability to produce at the highest level in our business, it's not worth it. It's not worth the cost. I almost took my life over it. I almost lost my family over it. I didn't come from money. I paid my mom a hundred bucks a month rent my senior year of high school. It was that opportunity of selling cell phones and getting into investments and learning all of this. Yeah, we made money and we lost money. And I didn't gain this clarity right here until I lost all that money and came out the other side with a commitment to extract the lessons Apply them in my life and share them with as many people as I can. Moving forward, the product that we use—there's there's many products can be used. They're available in Canada also for the number one strategy. I mentioned this. Dino talked about this. Cash flow banking. It's whole life insurance, and it's not just whole life insurance by itself. There's a writer, and we write about this writer and what would the Rockefellers do called a paid up additions writer that allows you to put extra cash in over and above the base premium of a whole life insurance policy. And we earn a guaranteed 4% on our cash tax-free. 4% may not seem like a great annual rate of return, but it's guaranteed. It's not an investment with high risk to get a high return. That, we do that in our business. We produce at the highest level in our business and we save our cash somewhere that we're relinquishing control of that we don't have knowledge and expertise in, in an area that's guaranteed protected and liquid to protect our mindset to continue to produce at the highest level in our area of expertise. If any of you are investing in the building that your practice or practices are in, great. That could be part of your number one investment. If you're investing in another real estate where you don't have knowledge and expertise in, it may be a gamble. And if that gamble is distracting you from your ability to continue to produce at the highest level in your area of expertise, that may not be worth it. Do you guys see this? Have you drawn this correlation before?
0: So I have a a quick question, Michael, something you said a while ago, and I don't know if this is the right time to ask it, but you had said to make sure that your money is a blessing to your family, the legacy money is a blessing to your family, not a curse. I didn't quite understand that. Can you explain that a little bit and go deeper with that?
1: Yep. So I've had, uh, so whole life insurance, it's a life insurance policy. We sell term, we sell whole life. Uh, uh, Garrett Gunderson and I, when we became partners in 2000, we had two other partners, uh, Ray Hooper and Les McGuire, and they died tragically June 8th of 2006 in a plane crash out here in Utah. We bought into a sixth share of a turboprop airplane and they died. They were in Southern Utah visiting me for the day. They're on their way back to Northern Utah, the pilot Dwayne Pugmire. They're in bad weather over a lake at their final approach into the Provo airport and they crashed and died. And that death benefit, thank goodness, was there to replace their economic value for their family. So death benefits always number one. But I have clients that say, Dino, ah, I don't want to make my kids trust fund babies or I don't want money to be a curse in their life. I want them to earn it the way that I earned it. And I want them to get all the benefits from the education of earning it to be able to earn a dollar and spend a dollar. And I agree, there's no other substitute than our kids earning a dollar and spending it themselves. So the estate planning is essential. Chapter 12, of what would the Rockefellers do is devoted completely to the estate planning side of things. We brought Andrew Howland, the estate planning attorney that we use to talk about this that if we died at an earlier age and money from life insurance, our practice and real estate and whatever other holdings we have is left to our kids and the kids are younger, we want strings attached. We want strings attached for them to read this book, get this degree and put put the money to use to be able to educate them versus just outright giving them millions of dollars in cash. And then as they get older, that can change to where if they're in a profession and they have the education and they've done all that and we're older and then we finally pass away that money comes into them and can be a blessing in their life versus a curse like someone winning the lottery and not having the education around money does that answer your question Dino
0: yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense that, yeah i love i love that uh, idea too of having it merit based that they they earn it we've been we did that when Andrew is my attorney too. And when when we did that years ago with him and I think that's just a smart way to go. Yep. All right. Um, Hey,
1: Michael. Yes. Quick question uh, regarding the whole life policy. Is that a vehicle then to uh, bring money back out of for retirement use or whatnot as well? Yeah. Yeah. Great question, Todd. And you're in Canada, correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah, and they offer these policies up there also. Um, so yeah, I have my personal practice here, Vault AIS. I have the, my personal residence. And, and then we have all our whole life insurance policies on my life, my wife's life, and our kids' lives. And I keep a certain amount of money in the bank locally. I put everything else in the whole life insurance policies. If I ever need to use any of the cash in the whole life insurance policies, it's liquid where I can but my intent is to not touch it unless I need to, for some sort of a banking purpose, but that I'm going to use all that money in the life insurance policies to retire on tax-free. Correct. Does that answer your question? Yeah, you bet, thanks. You're welcome. Let me show you guys this. This is the hit, I know it's different in Canada, but this is the history of the US federal tax there was no federal income tax in 1912. It started in 1913 at a low rate of 1% and a high of six. Lasted for three years. The high skyrocketed. It went to 15 and then skyrocketed over 60%. We're at 37% federally, federal income tax. So for if we have income over a half a million or more, it's taxed at 37% federal. It's not state, it's not other tax, it's just the federal income tax. It's been as high as 94%. Can you imagine paying 94 cents out of a dollar in federal income tax? Ronald Reagan was making movies and he got into the 70%. It was as high as 70% then. He lowered it down to 28%. One year he had it at 27 and a half as the high. The high today is 37 I've written articles in the last year that taxes are on sale here in the United States of America. You can imagine what people think, right? When they're writing big checks every year for federal income tax, they don't feel like it's on sale. We've averaged 57.3 from 1913 until today. We're at 37% today. We all just experienced here in the United States, the cares act a year ago, the other, acts that have been out. When I got in the industry, the national debt was $6 trillion. It's almost $30 trillion today. Where's that money going to come from? It's going to come from taxes being paid in the future. So we want our clients to pay their tax today, take all the legal deductions that they can, all the business deductions, all of that, to continue to produce the number one investment. But then pay your tax and then save it somewhere tax-free so when you retire in the future, you can pull it out tax-free. And you don't have to worry about being in a higher bracket. Another concept, I, I am offering our book, What Would the Rockefellers Do to Each One of You? I'll mail out to you. I'm also offering a one-hour consultation with me if you want to fill out our questionnaire and have me review what you're doing versus what you could be doing to integrate number one asset, number one investment, number one strategy into your personal finances, then I'm happy to do that for you. Do that with you also, if you'd like. But yeah, taxes, it's a big part of it. Other questions? Comments?
2: What The argument often against the, uh whole life type policies is the, uh, high, um, uh, commission you pay, um, yeah. on the, uh, how does that, how do you feel that balances out in the long run?
1: Yeah. Great question. We wrote about this and what would the Rockefellers do? You'll, again, you'll all get a copy of it. You can read about this. Commissions are paid on the base premium, not on the PUA writer of the policy. We actually got some pretty good hate mail from agents, uh, Garrett Gunderson and I from across the nation, because we disclose the commissions that are paid on whole life insurance in the book. It's, it's not anything that has to be hidden. Anybody can disclose that as a life insurance agent, if they want to, the commissions are paid on the base premium. So every dollar of base premium that goes into a life insurance policy, the IRS regulates this. We can put between two dollars to $3 of paid up additions into that same policy and not go over the MEC limit. It's called a modified endowment contract. It keeps the cash in there tax free. So if someone's putting, you know, uh, if someone wants to put away uh, $20,000 a month into a whole life insurance policy, we're going to take a fourth of that, a third to a fourth of that, and make that base premium work because that's where the commissions are paid. And we're going to take the rest of that as a paid-up additions writer that goes straight to the cash value to build that cash value quicker and now actually make it something that could be comparable long-term to money allocated in the stock market inside a 401k or an IRA or a SEP plan and make it really attractive. So that's how we get around uh, high commissions on the base premium of a whole life insurance policy to make it work in someone's portfolio.
0: was that was that i don't know if that was clear to me i mean i i get it because you and i just talked about this yesterday yeah that was clear so you're basically the commission is on the base premium only so i'll use me as an example my base premium on one of my policies is is six hundred dollars a month so that base premium is what you're getting commissioned on but anything i put above and beyond that so twelve hundred dollars more a month that i can add to that is just straight to my uh, cash value plus the uh, compound interest of that cash, right? Because that's the 4% a month that I'm guaranteed. A year. A year, sorry, a year guaranteed. And then for a month would be great. Can you create, if you can create that product, I think we're all in, but um, but you're only getting paid off of the base premium.
1: That is correct. and And James, you on the base premium, That's not credited to the cash value the first two years of a whole life insurance policy, but it is in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth. In the seventh year, they release that base premium back. So whole life policies on the base premium are front loaded. And so if someone gets into a whole life insurance policy and cancels it before seven years, they're going to lose money. It's a long-term strategy product. It's a product that we want someone to have on their life for their entire life, whether they live to 85, 95, 105, in fact, whole life insurance, all permanent life insurance products now go to age 121 because people are living longer. When I first got in the industry 21 years ago, it was age 102 and they've increased that, but you'll still net over 4% on every dollar, including the base premium but that happens after seven years on the base premium, the paid up additions is something separate, but that helps accelerate that whole growth in the policy by adding that writer to it. So whole life policies are not created equally. They have to be structured with the paid up additions writer in order for them to be something comparable to another investment.
0: So can we talk about this, Michael, as a strategy of like, why would this be a strategy I'm, uh, I'm assuming everybody on this call has, you know, their their financial advisors who are putting them in certain, you know, 401ks or uh, mutual funds or whatever stocks. As the industry is shifting a bit around, like there's more DSOs coming in, there's more corporations coming in, uh, the multiples of what practices are going to be worth, you know, 10 years from now might not be what they used to be. So how would somebody use this as a strategy for not just retirement, but If they want to invest, say, more into another practice or, um, and and to grow that business, like what would, what have you seen, whether it be, I know you have some ortho clients, but what strategies have you seen being used? I know me personally, I'm looking at it to use it for, you know, if I'm going to invest in in, in a real estate of my own home, or even if I want to buy a car later on, I'll be my own bank. I, I get that. We've had those conversations, but how would they use that in this scenario?
1: This is an exponential growth curve. This is the cash value of a life insurance policy. When you purchase a whole life insurance policy from a mutual life insurance company, not a stock life insurance company, there's two types of life insurance companies, stock and mutual. You wanna purchase it from a mutual life insurance company so you participate in the dividends or the profits of that life insurance company. And an article and written in the book on mutual life insurance companies, mutual life insurance companies in the United States of America are the safest financial institutions we have. Safer than banks, safer than any other financial institutions. They have to keep dollar for dollar in reserves. Banks only have to keep seven cents on a dollar in reserves. So the life insurance company that issues the life insurance policy contractually guarantees with you that they will lend you their money based on the amount of cash that you have in your life insurance policy. So if you have a million dollars of cash value built up in your life insurance policy, you have a line of credit with the life insurance company up to 96% of that cash value. No questions asked. So if you want to take a half million dollars out and go purchase or open up another practice and you don't want to do an SBA loan or something like that, they're going to charge you 5% and they will lend you their money and they put a lien against your cash value so your cash doesn't break that exponential growth curve. You're earning a guaranteed 4% on your cash plus the dividend The dividend is not guaranteed, but very predictable because they've never not paid it in the last 150 years. So we always count it. It's about another half a percent. So you're earning four and a half percent net on your cash. Whether you take a loan from the life insurance company or not, it's going to continue to grow at four and 4% guaranteed plus a half percent dividend. But you're paying them 5%. You're earning four and a half percent and you have use of that money. My wife, Wendy, and I sold our home a year, two years ago. We bought a smaller house, took a policy loan, paid cash for the home, so we didn't have all the closing costs. We knew we'd only live in it for maybe 10 months or so while we designed a new house plan and build a new home, and then we secured a long-term mortgage because interest rates were only 3.5% on the long-term mortgage versus 5% from our life insurance policy, But we took a policy loan, paid cash for that small home, and then sold it within a year. And it was just the ease of getting that money. So whether you want to use it for equipment, whether you want to use it to open up another practice, you have that money available through a policy loan if you want to use it like that.
0: And so with your house scenario, when you sold that, if you sold the the smaller house and you made a profit off of it, does that just roll as work like an IRA where it just rolls right back into your life insurance.
1: No, it's separate. So we sold the home. We did make a small profit on it. We just pocketed the profit, and then we paid off the policy loaned to the life insurance company, and they released the lien against our cash value, which made all that money available again.
0: Oh, so you just paid it all back, and then you on that pocketed money, you could have also then, if you wanted to use part of that pocket of money for your one time a year. Dump in. Dump the into your policy. policy, right?
1: Yep. Yep. And there's more advanced strategies around that that I could go into with each one of you and individually around what's taxable, what's not, and and how to do some of those policy loans if you're looking at doing that. But most of our professionals, they're just focused on their practice, producing at the highest level and peeling off you know, 20 to 30% of their profits and socking it away into the whole life insurance to build that up as large as they possibly can to be able to retire off that amount of money in their life insurance policies.
0: Can you go into that part though? Because if they're going to retire off of that money, is every time they pull out money for their retirement going to be a 5% rate?
1: Yeah, great question. Two ways to access your cash value. We just talked about the policy loan. The other way is just withdraw it. While you're producing an income, 99% of the time, I'm going to encourage you to take it as a policy loan so you can pay it back and make it available during retirement. But during retirement, you're just going to withdraw it. You're not going to take it as a policy loan. So you'll just, you'll just withdraw it from the cash value. When you withdraw money from your cash value of a whole life insurance policy, you cannot pay it back. Okay. But during retirement, you're not worried about paying it back anyway.
0: I, this stuff is awesome to me. I think it's really cool. Just know that there's another way to do it.
1: James,
2: to continue to pay your premium. Do you not um, throughout the throughout your life? Uh, when does the does the premium ever stop, or do you have to continue to pay that um, as long as you want to maintain the policy?
1: Yeah, great question. Yeah. We want you to pay into your whole life insurance every year that you have the cash that you want to save there we want you to look at any new whole life insurance policy as a minimum of 7 years we talked about that so you can have access to all the base premium that you put into it after 7 years you can exercise an option in any whole life insurance policy called an RPU reduced paid up you have to reduce the death benefit a little bit but now the policy is paid up for life we exercise the RPU option when we're done When we're making the conscious choice of, I don't want to save money into the whole life insurance policy any longer. So we do an RPU, reduced paid up. We reduce the death benefit a little bit. The policy is now paid up for life. Whether we draw money from it or not during retirement, it's going to continue to compound and grow inside the policy, but it requires no more premiums. And it's actually an irreversible decision once you do an RPU. So we want to make sure that you're for sure done paying into it.
2: How much is that death benefit reduced?
1: It depends on how long you've had it past the seven years. If you've had it 15 to 20 years, it's about a 20% reduction in death benefit. Not much.
0: But by that time, if you've had it 15 to 20 years, most likely your cash value is more than the death benefit, right?
1: No. Great question. Let's do another drawing here. Cash value down here, death benefit right here. Let's take a uh, uh, $5 million death benefit day one, cash is at zero, cash value grows, death benefit continues to grow. So down the road, say you have 2.5 million of cash value, you're gonna have a $7.5 million death benefit.
0: Even if you take out the 2.5, eventually?
1: If you whatever amount of cash value you spend either by withdrawal or policy loan upon death is taken from the total death benefit. So if you were to take out two million in cash value and died, it would pay out a five point five million dollar net death benefit. Got it. There's a lot more I could go into. I'm giving you guys a crash course on whole life insurance. What I would encourage you to leave this call with is AIS. I'm my number one asset. I get that. I want to continue to live a challenge-based lifestyle and continue to educate myself because it fulfills me the most, increase the most for those around me. My business, my practice is my number one investment. It has been, it always will be. Anything and everything that I can do personally and professionally to make sure that it's performing at the highest level is my number one investment. It's not my saving strategy, it's my investment. My saving strategy, when I'm going to relinquish control of my cash where I don't have knowledge and expertise, I wanna keep that cash guaranteed, protected and liquid. If you're sold on that or want to find ways of implementing that into your personal life with your business at a higher level than you're currently doing, that's when I would encourage you to schedule and meet with me. But we will send you the book with no obligation. You can read about this in more detail. And then the invitation is there if you'd like to to have a one-on-one consultation with me at no charge. So,
0: Michael, I... How did you, so for me, it's a, I gotta say, there's a little bit of um, have to shift my thinking a bit because when you say that the my business is my number one investment to put all my, you know, cause I have control of that business. I can call some doctors and, and get some more clients on. I can I invite more people into the network. Like that's obviously control of that. But then I think, well, but, an investment of, oh, I'm going to go buy a a real estate or a small apartment complex or whatever. I guess the flip the switch in my head is, and those can be very lucrative and I have almost zero control over them.
1: Yeah. Dino, if you want to become an expert in real estate and rentals like that, then gain some knowledge and expertise, but look at the trade-off. Will it cost you Right. Putting more people into your core business by doing that. If it doesn't and you have a desire to do that, then gain expertise and knowledge in it. That can become a number one investment for you also. But too many people like myself just put money there based on other advisors telling them it's a good deal where they have no control, and no knowledge and expertise. And then they lose money and end up losing money in their practice as a result.
0: And that could be the same thing for stocks or any of that type of stuff too. So yeah, that's that's the shift in my thinking
1: of. Elissa, do you have a question?
2: So yeah, so
0: um when something's too good to be true,
2: it is. And when forgive me, this is just my perception, if it seems
0: like a really solid strategy, why aren't more people doing it? Does that make
1: sense? Question. Yep. Yeah. Financial institution, and we, uh, we write about this and what would the Rockefellers do? It's actually in the first couple of chapters, financial institutions have an agenda. It's no surprise. It's fourfold. Number one, financial institutions, banks, mortgage companies, stock brokerage firms, it's fourfold. Number one, they want our money. Number two, they want our money on a regular basis. Number three, they want to hold on to our money for as long as possible. And number four, when it comes time for us to go and get our money, they want to pay it back to us as slow as possible. Alyssa, what do banks do with our money when we put it on deposit with them?
2: They lend it out.
1: They do. But they don't teach us to lend out our money. They take our money, pull it together with other people's money, and lend it out. They lend it out to you on a lease for equipment. That leasing company takes that money and puts it back into the bank. The bank then lends it out to me for a home mortgage. The home builder takes that money and puts it back into the bank. The bank then lends it out to James for a new car. The car company puts it back into the bank. They turn a dollar over on average five to six times during the year. It's called fractional reserve banking. It's no conspiracy. That's just how banks and financial institutions operate. So they teach us to accumulate our money with them and don't touch it. Don't touch it. You'll break the compound interest growth curve. You know what? It's more efficient to do a 15-year mortgage than it is a 30-year mortgage because you pay less interest on a 15-year versus a 30-year. They want their money back quicker so they can turn it over and over and over more. So they teach us one thing while they do the exact opposite. So all the products and services that they manufacture and sell meet their agenda. We get a benefit from it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't, but that's different than they would have you a traditional advisor working for a bank or a financial institution would have you put money into a SEP IRA. They would, they wouldn't have you put money into a whole life insurance policy. They would, they would, they would teach you or talk to you about high risk equals high rate of return and let's allocate it in the market and all of that. That's what they would have you do. And they'd have you put that money in there and not touch it. So you have money in your, your, your IRA or your SEP plan, you're out here leasing equipment and doing other stuff in your business practice and you're not coordinating those two money decisions together. That's why. But there are thousands of advisors like myself now that are using this strategy with clients. So it's gaining more and more traction, especially over the last 15 to 20 years.
0: I liked your point, Michael, that I've never heard you say before on this note of kind of what Alyssa was saying is, I want to pay myself interest versus paying the bank's interest. I never looked at it as yeah, it's I like I want to pay myself my interest, and I'd, I'd rather not give the bank as much money as I possibly can. Yeah, was,
1: especially with the profession of orthodontics and the cash that's generated and created, in your ability to save that cash and use that for future money decisions definitely.
2: How are um, whole life different than variable life?
1: Completely different. Uh, Universal life. So variable, variable universal life. It's a universal life chassis that universal life came about in the 1980s. Prior to the universal life, it was just whole life insurance and term. Again, whole life insurance has been in existence for almost 200 years. Universal life came about in the 1980s. It has a All universal life, whether it's UL, VUL, or IUL, or EIUL, equity index. So there's universal life, 1990s came variable universal life. They still sell those. And they also sell equity indexed universal life. They all have a term insurance chassis inside the universal life policy. So every year you get older, the insurance costs increase. It's not level. So they're, they're the most expensive permanent life insurance product on the market today, universal life, because it's an annual renewable term insurance cost. When you're 35 years old, the term insurance is only costing you 30 bucks a month. But when you're 65 years old, it's costing you $400 a month. And that erodes and eats away from the cash buildup in the policy. But if you have one and want me to look at it, I'm happy to, I would tell you to get an in-force illustration and I can show you that exactly in their print.
0: When it comes to um, kind of the legitimacy of something like this, is it, I don't know if it's you or if it's something I read about that banks typically have whole life insurance policies that they carry on themselves and on some of their employees.
1: Oh, Thank is in you know. it it okay. is in here. Okay. Banks can store up to 25% of what they call their tier one capital in, with mutual life insurance companies. You could Google BOLI, B-O-L-I, bank owned life insurance or Coley, C-O-L-I, corporate owned life insurance and it's in whole life insurance.
0: That's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, you guys we're at the hour mark here. We have about 15 minutes left. I want to make sure everybody gets their questions answered. And I want to reiterate that, you know, my intention here today was just to, again, always just bring education to everybody to say, okay, here's an option. Here's some other ideas. I know we're in a, in a world right now where there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of different options out there for everybody. And I just wanna make sure that when, we, when you look back at your ability to retire the way you wanna retire or buy the things that you wanna buy or invest in the things you wanna invest, that you have different options out there. And this to me was an interesting uh, education on how to look at our money and what we can do with it. So uh, any other questions or comments? challenges. I like the challenges. Do more challenge. Who's got a challenge? Come on. Somebody challenge. Well,
1: Michael, I've got a, a question and would it be, um, is there a minimum age or a minimum uh, annual salary that you would recommend somebody getting into a whole life policy? Yeah. Great question. Um, so you have to be insurable. So it's a life insurance product. Someone must be insurable. That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, you'd want to be able to fund it for that seven-year period that we talked about. Uh, and then, so insurables, a minimum seven years of funding it. And then my oldest client is 78 that I got insured, had a lot lower internal rate of return because we were only we were funding it for estate planning purposes but my average client age is in their forties, early fifties. And I have lots of clients that I've insured in their early sixties also. Yep. If we can fund it for seven years, we can make it work. And we would want, you would want to put a minimum. The lowest level would be 500 a month, 6,000 a year. I have clients that are doing up to 3 million a year into whole life insurance. I thought pattern was more along my kid's age. Would you yeah, you? yeah, yeah. I put policies on my kids 19 years ago. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention that. I mean you said that, uh, you mentioned that just barely. Can you just touch on that about the ability to add life insurance as a benefit to your kids or other people, business yeah. partners, right? Stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Yep. So the most common is your kids, and then as Dino talked about. A business partner, uh, Ray and Leslie died in the plane crash. Garrett Gunderson and I, we had buy-sell agreements. And we owned life insurance on each other's lives. So thank goodness, not only did the spouses receive death benefit to take care of the economic need, but we had it in the business to be able to buy out the spouse of that partner that passed away. But on the kids here in the United States of America, we can pay our kids up to... It was $6,000 Trump changed that Donald Trump changed that in 2018 to $12,000 a year, $1,000 a month. If you wanted to save that much into a policy, but you can pay your kids, if you can get them to do something within the practice work-wise, and you don't pay tax on that 12,000, nor do they, and we have clients saving that into whole life insurance for us and our kids. When they turned 16, we bought their first vehicle through the whole life insurance policy. There was a payment associated with that to pay it back to the life insurance company. And you can, each individual does this separately with their family, but with our kids, if they maintained a 3.8 GPA and were involved in extracurricular activity at school, we made that payment for them. If they maintained a 3.8 and didn't have the extracurricular activity, then they needed to work part-time. And so we started teaching them about banking and money as an introduction at the age of 16. And then college certainly uh, was the next phase uh, out of high school that we used that cash for versus some sort of a college education plan or a college funding plan. Uh, um, we used the whole life insurance for that purpose. And we took policy loans and then we helped them in paying that back. And then they started paying it back when they got into their profession which made all that money available again for them versus just losing it completely. So yes, whole life insurance on kids and many reasons why. Thanks. You're welcome. And grandparents buy it on grandkids also and gift them that money too.
0: Any other thoughts, questions, or challenges? Your opportunity.
2: It's the typical commission on a uh, on a policy there, the base premium, then what is it 30% or 60%? What is usually 55?
1: 55%? Yes. For on the first year, first year, first year commission on the premium. And then there's a trail for life on that base premium.
2: So, how do you decide what your base premium is? And isn't that base premium going to determine the death benefit?
1: Yeah. So, we look at your existing cash flow and how much you want to save into a policy. And then we'll divide that by a third or a fourth and make that the base premium and then make the rest PUA. So, it's all, it's, how much money someone puts into a whole life insurance policy is based on their current cash flow and how much they want to save into it. And then we, we back into the base premium.
2: So it's not necessarily on what their, their liability is um, needing on a death benefit at the beginning. So let's say if you, you add up your liabilities and what you want to provide your spouse as a death benefit, you, you may not necessarily want that to be,
1: your, your, your starting number. That is correct. No, we, we, we make up the difference in death benefit and convertible term insurance. So we, any whole life insurance policy that we put in force on someone's life, we want to maximize that PUA rider, which doesn't always give them all the death benefit. They, they want to fulfill that need that you're talking about. So we make up that difference in convertible term insurance. I just went in and got a mole removed. Do you know, I don't know if I talked to you about this, in just before Christmas this last year and it was cancerous. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm going to become an insurable. Thank goodness I got it all and everything's fine. But, and I do have uh, several million dollars left of convertible term insurance. If I was to become uninsurable and I wanted to save more money into whole life insurance, I could convert that term to whole life without having to prove insurability.
0: That's what you did to me is that's how we set mine up is that we had a, Smaller amount that we get for the whole life, but we go for the higher amount for the convertible term. Yeah. Um, and I, I also wanted just to point out I don't know if this anybody has thought about this or cares, but one of the things that's been a benefit to me was last year when my income went to zero, we reached out to Michael and you can change your PUA to any time to the minimum that it can be. I think mine would have like $10 or something like that, right?
1: $10 a month is the minimum up to the maximum, which is could be thousands and thousands of dollars a month.
0: So what was the benefit was going, okay, well, I'm still, I don't have to like not pay my life insurance. I just had to pay the base base premium, but I could bring it down from what I was paying the two or three times more just to give us that relief. And then we can bring it back up whenever we want. And that to me was huge. Cause you know, if I had, I, I have been in a situation in my life before 20 years ago, when we just cut off our life insurance, cause I didn't want to pay that. And that was a term life insurance policy, right? And we needed that hundred dollars, but yeah. So that was a real big benefit too. All right. Any other questions or thoughts? All right, Michael, how did they, how do they get in your book?
1: Uh, great question. Do you know, I will- I I think it'd be best maybe to just get their information from you if you're all agreeable, Dino, you know, and then I can mail it out to them. Yeah. Is that the easiest way?
0: Yeah. Uh I don't have all of your addresses. So if everybody's I probably do, but somewhere I don't know. I, I do because I send you out books, but they're not. Let like, me
1: let me give you guys this also if you want to if you want to head start on this. You can go to our website, www.vaultais dot com and right on the home page is a video of me explaining some of what you've already heard and an assessment. The assessment is very detailed. There's 10 key areas of our life financially. If you want a head start prior to getting to the book, go on, take that assessment, look at those 10 key areas of your life of where you are currently versus where you could be with taxes and investments and insurance and savings. Number one asset, number one investment, number one strategy, all that is part of the 10 areas that you can assess yourself on. And you also enter in your information where it says referred by, just put Dino and that'll give us your information. We can get the book out quicker to you.
0: All right. So um, does everybody send me or send me or just send me an email with your address. If you're not going to do that, the assessment, which I would, that's probably be easiest for you to do, but if not, just give that to me. Remember, if you guys are up in Canada, that book's going to take at least a month longer, but still, <laughs> um, I have experience in that. Um, uh, so go ahead and do that. Um, Michael, thank you for spending your time with us and, and You're sharing welcome. with us. Really, really appreciate it.
1: Um, You're welcome.
0: One of the things that you know we talk about here in the network, you guys, is my three Ps, right? Proactive, productive, and profitable. And I just think that stuff like this, understanding these type of even strategies that are out there, whether you utilize them or not, at least be able to have a, a, a cursory conversation or knowledge around them, I think is really, really important. And I just believe in being proactive in everything that we do. So I hope this helped you feel like it was uh, something that you could add to your tool belt of understanding and knowledge. I highly encourage you all. I mean, I'm a, I'm a product of the product, right? So I encourage you to reach out and just even get the assessment, just have a conversation. I love how Michael has said, like there's no, no obligation. It's just like getting more information. And uh, that's what i love to see you all do. My hope is that you all, you know, retire with Scrooge McDuck money that you can dive into the, the coins and all that fun stuff. Right. And I, I whatever that is, maybe this is a, an opportunity for you to do that. Maybe it's not, but it's a, uh, and it's an opportunity nonetheless. So, Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for uh, participating in the questions that you asked. I hope you guys all enjoyed it and felt it was worth your time. Please feel free to reach out to me. If you have any questions, reach out to Michael and uh, we will see you all net in two weeks on the first Wednesday of next month. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at Dino at DinoWatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.